Good morning, church. Uh, I have a few things I need to tell you about. Um, we are, this is Memorial Day weekend, which puts us about halfway between Mother's Day and Father's Day. And if you haven't picked up a, um, a, a baby bottle yet for the uh, coin drive for the uh, First Choice Pregnancy Center, I want to encourage you to do that. There's going to be information out in the foyer for that. Um, we've got a lot going on. Uh, you can see our VBS set out there in the foyer. We accidentally put it in the wrong spot. Some of you are thinking, well, that sounds pretty good to me. That's actually the renovation, which started this week. So that long-awaited renovation, if you were wondering when's it going to begin, it's begun. And uh, it's going to be looking nicer and nicer every week. Um, the, uh, the other thing I want to tell you is we've got some uh, other great stuff. Our, our, we're off to a good start this summer. And uh, at our West Ark Youth Group, we've got our four interns with us. Uh, one of them is a young man named Ted Krigler, who's going to uh, be a preacher. Ted, come on up here. Uh, he, 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 I, I say you're going to be a preacher. You are a preacher. And, uh, and I, I look forward to hearing you more. Ted's going to read our text this morning. I want to tell you also that Ted's going to bring the message tonight at the 6 p.m. assembly. So if you want to come and hear Ted's sermon then, that'd be good. So Ted, would you read for us, please? I'll be reading from Numbers 13. When they arrived at the Escol Valley, they cut off branches with a single cluster of grapes. It took two men to carry it, slung on the pole. They also picked some pomegranates and figs. They named the place the Escol Valley, which means grapes cluster valley. Because of the huge cluster of grapes they had cut down, after 40 days of scouting out the land, they returned home. They presented themselves to Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They reported to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land, and they told the story of their trip. We went to the land which you have sent us, and oh, it does, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at the fruit. The only thing is that the people who live there are fiercest. The cities are huge and will we'll forfeit. Worse yet, we have saw descendants of the great Anak. Amalekites are spread throughout the land, Negev, Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites. Hold the hills of the country, and the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea along the Jordan. Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses said, Let's go up there and take the land. Now yeah. we can do yeah. it. But the other said, We can attack those people. They're, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. They spread scary rumors among the people of Israel, they said. We scouted out the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. Why we even saw a Nephilim giant. Yeah. Alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers, and they looked down on us as we were grasshoppers. <clears throat> Thank you, Ted, for that reading. Um, would you pray with me? Father, we come to you with thanks. Because this is Memorial Day and it's a Memorial Day weekend. It's a time that we need to remember. We need to remember that we enjoy freedoms and we enjoy blessings because others have sacrificed. And Lord, if we can understand this in the way that it becomes a source of blessing for our nation, for our people, for our culture, then help us to understand this 
in terms of spirituality and our faith. That Jesus Christ sacrificed so that we might live forever. Teach us to remember that, Lord. That throughout the ages there have been people who because of their faith, their trust in You, they would not shrink back. They stood their ground. They stood up against criticism. They stood in the face of persecution. And that's gone on in the past, and it's going on now. And Father, we are blessed and enriched because of that. And should that become the moment that we have to do that, I pray that we will not shrink back and that we will keep faith in you. Teach us to remember these things, Lord. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I've been living with this uh, text in Deuteronomy chapter 13 and 14 for quite a while now. And uh, it's, it's convicted me. I've gone back, I've looked at Numbers, trying to understand this book that I've neglected too many times. Numbers is a record. That's why it's called Numbers. It's a diary. It's, it's a story, a record-keeping of God setting up Israel, His people. In God's scrapbook, these are the, these are the infancy pictures of His new nation getting started again. People who were once in slavery, the descendants of slaves, they had, no, they had no identity apart from the fact that they were machines to work for Pharaoh. And now here they are, like an army. It's as if it's basic training. They camp. They march. They go where God leads. They camp. They march. They go where God leads. And you see it in the first few chapters. Little statements, quick statements that will run by if you're not paying attention. Right there at the end of Numbers chapter 1, the people of Israel did everything God commanded Moses. They did it all. Yes, that's the way it's supposed to be. Numbers 2, verse 34, the people of Israel did everything the way God commanded Moses. They camped under their respective flags. They marched by tribe with their ancestral families. They're getting their heritage back. They're getting their story story back. They're receiving that God-centered identity, which not very long ago was you are livestock and you work for Pharaoh. That's all they ever knew. And now they've become warriors around their flags with their ancestral families. These are good days. Chapter 9, the people of Israel marched at God's command and they camped at His command and they lived obediently by God's orders as delivered by Moses. What a sight it would have been to see them. These people that were once nothing. And now they march throughout the wilderness, throughout the desert, organized into camps. And if you could have seen it from the sky, they would have looked like a cross marching throughout the wilderness with the tent of God in the middle of them. Led by His presence, fire and smoke. That's Israel. These are the good days. But then things take a very quick turn to the negative. And it's literally the negative. They've been setting things up. They're learning how to do it. 
God's showing them how. God even tells the priests how to bless the people. He, he tells them how to be dedicated to God. And then somewhere along the line, all this wonderful stuff, this freedom, they take it for granted. And in Numbers 11.1, 1, they're grumbling over their hard life. They have food falling from the sky. If you read the description of manna, it's like Krispy Kreme donuts without calories. And, and it falls out of the sky. And there they are, coming out every day. I wonder what's for dinner today. Maybe manna? <laughs> How'd you guess? They're grumbling because they don't like how it is after they've been rescued, after they've been saved, after God is providing for them. And the most chilling part of that statement is the people fell to grumbling over their hard life. God heard. Would have been so much better for them if God just ignored it. I mean, that's what we're taught to do. And when people are grumbling and complaining and griping, just ignore it and move on. Just don't pay any attention to that. Just let them complain. Not God. God's invested in this. He thought the relationship was going quite well. And now they're complaining. In the next chapter, Miriam and Aaron, this this is a family dispute. The brother and sister of Moses, they talk against Moses behind his back. They're setting up their alternative plan for leadership within the camp. Don't like the way Moses is always going in there and talking to God and act like he's the only one who has any kind of conversation, relationship with God. I mean, maybe if somebody else other than Moses was in charge, we'd be enjoying something other than manna. Well, we do have quail. Let's not talk about the quail. We're just saying that maybe we need to kind of, you know, move leadership around, give everybody a chance to drive. When God hears about this, he calls Miriam and Aaron out. In fact, Miriam ends up with leprosy. God's very serious about this relationship. And I know you can read Numbers 13 and 14 and you can say, wow, God, that's that Old Testament God. He's really scary. God's well within his rights. He's going to make something great out of these people. He's going to use them to reverse the curses and the corruption that have turned the world into something it was never meant to be. And he has given them a very special opportunity to be that shining light, that nation that sets the example for everyone. And they are griping. In fact, when you read this, we ought not... I mean, by the way, this is God. Most gods in that day and age are even more frightening. And they can't be trusted. Gods in that day and age, you read the the stories of ancient cultures, they wake up in the morning and and say, you know what, I I hate people. 
I'm just going to flood everybody. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. You know what? I hate people. I'm going to give everybody disease. And you ask whatever God's doing that, be it Marduk or whatever fake God is, is doing this, and you say, why did you do that? I don't know. I wasn't thinking straight. God is thinking straight, and in these stories, what we need to see is not how mean and scary he is, but how merciful he is. I mean, he wants to go further, and Moses says, wait, that's not how this works. You're God. Let's give God a break. These people have tested him. You know, we often talk about how God tests us. Oh, things are going bad. God must be testing me. Have you ever thought that maybe sometimes we're testing God? God, life is terrible today. I don't like the way things are going. I'm really happy. You didn't answer my prayer. Sometimes God is just saying, I, I want a break from you. you know? You're testing me. I don't know if we ever think of it that way, but sometimes I think that's the way God feels. That's the way he felt about Israel. The thing is, when God wants a break from you, he doesn't go away. You go away. And that's what he's willing to do. Moses, I've had it with these people. I tell you what, I'll just hit the reset button, get rid of them, start over with you. Me and you, Moses, we could do... Moses has to say, but God, if you do that, then the, Israel, then the Egyptians will say, you could not save your people. You could not do what you told Pharaoh you were going to do. And yet, the sin of Egypt... To say that God cannot save them is the same sin that Israel is committing. They are saying, God has brought us to the desert to die. God wants to see us. Uh, He's not going to take care of us. He can't give us the victory. They're committing the same sin of saying God cannot. The grumbling, the bad morale is bad enough. But whether they realize it or not, they are questioning God. And their little slogan, worrying that God cannot do what God said He was going to do, that God cannot keep His promises, is not only in ingratitude, but it is a lack of trust. So by the time we get to chapter 13... God sets up a plan with Moses. And I'm telling you, these two chapters, folks, you need to read these constantly. Chapters 13 and 14 are a significant turning point in the history of God's people. We tend to think of big events like the exodus from Egypt or uh, the Babylonian captivity. This moment is significant. And Israel chooses their fate. Because of how they see the future. The purpose of the scouts, I think, is to convince the people. Notice that in the first line of this conversation, God says to Moses, I want you to send men to scout out the country of Canaan that I am giving to the people of Israel. It's more than just an assessment of their strengths and weaknesses. But when you read into the text, you know, God says, now I want you to go and I want you to look. Where are they strong? Where are they weak? What are, what are they like? Just look at it. But, but really, 
see if it's a good land or not. See if it's everything that I've told you. But there is never a question of their victory. Because right at the start, God says, I want you to see the country of Canaan that I'm giving to the people of Israel. Well, God, don't you mean that the people of Israel might get if it's a good day and you've kind of brought us to this point, but now it's really up to us? No. This is what I'm giving you. You go look at it. So a representative from each tribe sets out to spy out the land. And they come back with conflicting stories. These 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb, are remembered. Go ahead, real quick, name the other 10. Who are they? <laughs> no, no, it's not an open book test. You can't look. No. You know, Joshua and Caleb, I mean, their names are, are popular. We've got Joshua's and Caleb's here. Joshua and Caleb are always in the top, you know, 50 baby names. In fact, um, uh, Caleb is trending right now. It's number six. Uh, Joshua's still around 49, but it'll come back. For the last 50 years, it's always been popular. You don't see anybody naming their children Egal or Nobby. Some of you say, well, that's not the way it's pronounced. That's the way it'd be pronounced in Arkansas. So if you name your kid that, watch out. Hey, I go, oh, is that your brother Nobby? <laughs> in 13, and this is, these are the, the most dangerous words in this text. And I'll tell you why it's dangerous. Because we hear this still today. Um, verse 27 and 13 the ten, the unknown ten, they told the story of their trip. And they said, we went out to the land to which you sent us. And oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. And they're not denying that the land is good. They're saying it's spectacular. Bringing back bunches of grapes that, you know, like it's a slain deer. You got two guys on a pole. Whoo, look at this. What'd you go out and shoot? Grapes. And they've got, they've got this huge, they're bringing it back home. I mean, how do you even sneak out of the land with that? There must be so much of them that the people in the land, the Canaanites, are like, who are those funny guys? That looks like Nobby. What, what are they doing? They're, they're, they're running off with a bunch of grapes. Okay, we got plenty, so whatever. I mean, nobody stops them, questions them. They don't deny that it's good. They don't deny that it's everything that God had promised. But then they say, the only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Oh, yeah. And we saw descendants of the giant Anak. Anak? Oh, you remember Anak? No, I don't remember Anak. Oh, yeah. He's one of those crazy, mystical, giant people, the Nephilim. Oh, yeah. Everybody, they, the Amalekites hold the kill country. Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea all along the Jordan. They've got it all locked up. Every border is tight. Hmm. Yep, sounds like a good idea. God had a good idea. But the only thing is, it's not going to work. How many times do we fail because we listen to the phrase, nah, the only thing is, right at the moment when we decide, you know what, we start 
reading what God has written to us. We start listening to what God wants us to do in mission. We start actually paying attention to the fact that he said, I want you to make disciples. You all see the banner back there? You see it? That's the mission statement. Look, look, look. Making disciples for Jesus who are eager to serve others. Somebody said, you know, asked me the other day, what's our mission statement? I don't know. Maybe that's on that banner that's been there for 20-something years. And we say, you know what? Making disciples for Jesus is good. The only thing is, people don't want to talk about that. Oh, oh, well, why didn't you say that in the first place? Let's take that banner down because guess what? People don't want to talk about that. Thank you. Thank you for telling us that actually it's harder than what Jesus thought. If we had known that, you know what? We just might as well cancel all the programs. Why not? Because somebody said, actually, it's much harder than we thought. Okay. The only thing is, Caleb comes in with his only thing. He says, yeah, but the only thing is, God is more powerful than them. Don't you get it? I love Caleb. Caleb interrupted, called for silence. Now let's go up and take the land now. And then here's one of those spies back there. But Caleb, didn't you hear me? I said the only thing is they're fierce. Did they just forget what they had seen in Egypt? They cover it up by saying that they are worried for their families. If this all goes wrong, our wives and children are about to become plunder. They're going to get kidnapped. We're going to be dead. No one will be there to protect them. Maybe we better think this through. We need to see to our families first, you know. That's a good thing. Let's, in fact, let's head back to Egypt because at least there we knew what we were doing, right? And they don't remember how often they cried out to God for justice. Moses' word is, he'll give it to us. Just don't rebel against God and don't be afraid of these people. God is on our side. There's, There's two reports. I'm sorry, that's Joshua. Joshua says that. He'll give it to us. God is on our side. Don't be afraid. So you've got Joshua and Caleb whose names get used over and over again, even to this day, because they have this amazing faith. And yet, the good, decent people of Israel refuse to listen. Because, actually it won't work, and actually the people are fierce, and we need to protect our families, and we really need to think this through. Maybe it's not such a good idea. Let's go back to Egypt. Because at least then, we know we'll be safe. And hey, God, we've got the relationship, so we're good. We're good. You know, if you doubted before when I said that God sometimes needs a break from us, take a look at what God says in verse 26 of chapter 14. God spoke to Moses and Aaron. And God's going to his friends. He's dealing with this. He said, how long is this going to go on? All this grumbling against me by this evil infested community. I've had my fill of complaints from these grumbling Israelites. You tell them that as I live, God's decree, here's what I'm going to do. Your corpses are going to litter the wilderness. Yeah, it's 
It's scary, folks. You say, I don't know. Wait, preacher, come on. Soften that up somehow. Sorry, I didn't write the Bible. Every one of you, 20 years old and older, who was counted in the census, the whole generation of grumblers and grousers, not one of you will enter the land and make your home there and firmly and solemnly uh, will make your home there. The firmly and solemnly promised land, except for Caleb and Joshua. And your children, the very ones that you said would be taken for plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you rejected while your corpses will be rotting in the wilderness. If you're still thinking that God is mean, I want you to remember, after everything they've seen, this people have chosen this. And in their desire to protect their children, to protect their families, they will lose out on a future with those families. They will lose out. And God will take better care of them because they are the ones that in His mercy He will bring into the land. He will make them the warriors that their parents were supposed to be. How long is this going to go on? And I got to, you know, well, I've, I told you I've been living with this text. And if you've fallen asleep now, this is the time to wake up because I want to ask you this question How long will this go on? Because here we are thousands of years later. And if we think that we have somehow, because, you know, we live this side of the cross, and so we've got a better, we get by with grumbling. God likes a little grumbling. He's older now. He's kinder. He had a kid. You know, I mean, yeah. No. There's all the more reason for us to be as confident as Joshua and Caleb. And even more so. And when we refuse to be the people that God wants us to be on mission, how long is that going to go on simply because we're afraid or we're not committed or we just don't know how to do it and we make excuses and we say, you know, but the only thing is, the only thing is. It is our choice, just like it was their choice, to trust in the negative, worried majority or to trust in the victorious God who keeps His word. You know, it doesn't bother me that those ten people whose names we can't remember, it doesn't really bother me that much that they come back and they start grumbling and then they die. They are complainers. All I know is if their tribe picked them as the representatives and the best, I can't imagine what it's like in their tribes. But after everything they've seen, and they come back and they start the rumors and they start the negative report. we got to do something about this. I think Moses is a little crazy if he thinks we're going to go up against those people who are giants. We felt like grasshoppers. In fact, I even heard one of the guys call us grasshoppers. What really scares me is the fact that there's all those other people who hear the rumor. They weren't there, but they hear the rumor and they say, well... It is 10 against 2. And they buy into it. And because they buy into that fear, they're going to fall dead in the desert and they are not going to enjoy the good gift that God is giving them. You know, one of the things that often interrupts the mission of a church, it's not that people like you or me and I'm confessing this, I'm owning this. It's not that people like you or me are complainers. 
It's that we borrow the trouble from people we're afraid will complain. And often, it's a phantom. We borrow it from people that we think will complain, and they never will, and they really, and really actually, they never were complaining. I, I had a friend who, who was church leader, and, and they were about to make a decision in their church, and they decided they were, you know, they thought, well, wait a second, we're getting some feedback on this. So they went around, and they interviewed every single family in the church. And all of them said, oh, no, we like the idea. We think it's a great idea. When they finally started to narrow it down and ask a few people, well, where's the hesitancy? Oh, we're all for it. We're just worried that some other people won't like it. Since they interviewed every single family, they were able to get up and tell the church, guess what? We talked to everybody. If you're worried that some people won't like it, those people don't exist. Everybody likes it. But even still, what if everybody didn't like it and it was God's will? Do you move on that or do you come back to God and say, God, it's a great plan. The only thing is, we don't like it. Get ready to drop dead in the desert then. Get ready to drop dead in the desert. Because God will keep his mission. And he does not need us to do that. He'll find somebody else who can do it. You know, in the, uh, I think we've had just about all of our Marvel movies now, you know, and you got Captain America, and I always love that scene where Captain America's fighting with the bad guy, even when he's a little wimpy Captain America, you know, before he's Captain America, and then when he's big Captain America, and they're always beating him up, and he keeps going, you know, and he's got blood, he's like Rocky, he's got blood coming out, and he says, I can keep this up all day. I can keep this up all day. That's good tough guy stuff. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, keep going, keep going, Captain America. When it comes to the mission of saving, God is saying, I can keep this up until the end. I can keep this up forever. I can keep this up well past your lifetime. And at that moment that I become faithless, and I admit I have grumbled, I have complained, I have told God that I'm not... I've told God, God, the only thing is, I don't think I'm very good at this. He doesn't care. He's got a mission. And he doesn't need me to do it. And I think, how many times have I missed out on the great things that God could do because I didn't trust him? Because I didn't have that attitude that said, you know what? God can do this. He can take this. He can do it all day long. Folks, God doesn't need us, but he wants us. And he wants, he will gladly put us into his mission and into his plans. But as long as we are anxiously protecting ourselves, as long as we are anxiously protecting our families and even our church. Oh, no, no, it's the Lord's church. Uh Uh-huh, but if you're acting like it's our church, it's not really the Lord's church. When we do that, God will find somebody else who will trust in him. He'll work with the Caleb's and Joshua's. And if you call foul on God and say, God, you can't do that, get ready to drop dead in the desert. Pushing ahead without God is also doomed to failure. After these ten spies, they get the plague right then and there. God comes along and then they say, okay, okay, we're down. We're ready to go. We can do this. We can do this. And Moses says, wait, 
why are you doing this now? This isn't, you know, God's already said he's not with you in this. Doesn't matter, we'll show God. And they run straight to their doom. Because they don't win the fight because of their ability. They win the fight because God is with them. That's what Caleb knows. That's what Joshua knows. Yes, they were giants. Yes, they're the descendants of Anak the giant. Yes, they've got fortifications. But we've got God. He's got us. And here's the truth. God will work with whatever generation that trusts him. This sounds bad to say on Memorial Day weekend, but in God's army, there is no greatest generation. In God's army, there is the generation that trusts him. Any generation that trusts him. And any generation that doesn't trust them, he can't use them. That's why I love towards the end, and you, re- you pick up with Caleb again in chapter 14 of Joshua. All of those folks who listen to the scary rumors are gone. Their graves are out in the wilderness. Now you've got these kids who grew up in the wilderness. They've heard these stories. The promised land is just kind of like the way we talk about heaven. They've heard about it. But now they're finally up there to the edge. And here they are. These kids are going to be anywhere between the ages of 40 and down. No one older than 40 is there except Caleb and Joshua. And so you've got these 18-year-old kids. You've got these 30-year-old dads. You've got all these people. And here comes Caleb, 80-something years old, you know, probably on his walker. Let's go get him. I'm ready. I know, in Joshua it says, I'm just as strong as I ever was. That's what he says. I mean, you know, but uh, it doesn't matter. He's 85 years old. That means that for 40 years, from that moment when he tries to get everybody to say, look, if we trust God, he's going to do what he promised. That means that for 40 years, he watched his friends and neighbors die in a place where they were not supposed to die. But because of their poor choice and because of their complaining and their griping and their lack of trust, they died, but he kept going. And the thing, ask yourself, what kept him going? Is it just because he's a you know, rough old salt or something like that? No. Faith. Trust. He trusted in God and the promises. God said he's going to give me a mountain. I want the mountain. I want that land. God told me when I was here, he said, the land you're walking on, it's going to be your land. I want it. Because God said I could have it. And I trust in him. You know, I could go on and on about all the great things that are happening in this church. And there are so many great things I have seen God over the last few years do so much with us. And I mean, there's great works that even go on before that. But all of this is just building together and you can see God continually blessing it. It's there. You don't have to look hard. You just have to have that that attitude that, that Caleb has. In fact, it's an attitude that God says, I like that. And if you're worried about God being tired of you, develop some of that attitude where, where, that Caleb has where God says, I like his spirit. It's different. He believes. I mean, Caleb just, when God says, hey, Caleb, let's go take the land. All right. I think you can do it. Yes, sir. 
He, Caleb reminds God of those earlier days where they're just camping and they're marching and they're going wherever. But here within this congregation, we've had that spirit. It's always there. But I will tell you this. It can all be swept away rather quickly when we start saying to one another, yeah, but the only thing is, the only thing is, and when we start spreading that negative word around, what we're going to start saying is, God can't. God won't. God doesn't. And then you and I are going to get lost in the desert when we do that. So we need to protect ourselves from that. Would you pray with me? Father, keep us from having the faithless attitude that complains about the the good gifts that you bring us, the things that you promised us, the manna that sustains us. Dear Lord, protect our hearts from that kind of negativity. And I confess, it's tough because there's so much negativity. It floats in the air in our culture. And it's so easy for us to get into that. And instead of seeing your big mission, we complain about thermostat settings and speakers and we complain about preachers who preach too long and and everything else under the sun and people who won't listen and things that are bad and God I confess that I'm the first among sinners and I pray your forgiveness that you would help me to keep focused on you God forgive me of my sins I trust that others will they'll come to your mercy and grace if they need to Lord you you know that you work in their lives this is our confession to you but lord i pray that our our family our spiritual family here will always be a force of faith a force of trust because there's people who need to know that you're bigger than the giants and the evil and the problems that are out there in the world and they have to have people like us show it to them and so we're asking you lord in your mercy and grace use us We know that you can use anybody you want, but we're asking you, use us. Because we want the glory of enjoying that promised land. And we don't want to lose out on a single moment of it. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand. We're going to sing this song together. Uh, We've got one young lady who's going to come up here. We're going to pray over her in just a moment. We'll tell you more about that in a moment. But let's stand. Let's sing. If there's anybody else who needs, needs prayers, come up here and tell the shepherds.